I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. Super pumped to have the gorgeous Bryony Benjamin with me, who is a keynote speaker, author, and storyteller whose viral videos have been viewed by more than 200 million sets of eyeballs. Her own story went global after she documented her journey from cancer diagnosis to recovery in the video, You Only Get One Life. And this led to her book called Life is Tough, But So Are You, and a passionate drive to help individuals face the toughest times of their lives with more ease and less fear. And we'll be tapping into a bit of this today and an exciting new project for her. So welcome, Bryony. Thank you, Julie. It's so lovely to be here with you. Oh, it's amazing to have you. And I'm really keen to get into our chat. So my first question is, if you were leader of the world for a day, what would be the three things that you would do? Well, Julie, I have been a passionate environmentalist since I was about four. And for me, you know, I think growing up in a vet practice, being around nature and caring for animals and wild animals always, it just made sense to me that if we don't look after the planet, then what have we got left? And particularly having been through a major health crisis myself, you know, it really does get you thinking about issues of health and well-being and our, our environment more. At least it did for me, you know. Ultimately, if our skies are polluted, if our oceans are polluted, we're not very healthy. And so for me, it's always been about climate. And I remember at a really young age coming across the climate crisis and just thinking, well, once everyone knows about this, surely we'll get this fixed straight away, right? Yeah, I've spent a lot of my career working with environmental groups and climate groups, trying to help communicate and bring people along. Because I think for the most part, as people, we're all pretty similar. We all want the same things, but we're overwhelmed, confused, you know, or maybe just head in the sand. It feels too hard. I actually spent the last year working with the Teal Independence doing comms and content with Climate 200. And that, I've got to say, is one of the best projects I've ever worked on, ultimately helping get some really incredible people into the parliament. And so, yeah, I would just work out how can we get all the countries around the world to work out the best plan to rapidly reduce our emissions and start regenerating this beautiful planet that we live on. You know, it is our one planet. So for me, that's probably the big overarching one. And the second one would just be 50% of women in power all over the world. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? You know, so many countries, we see what's happening in Iran right now. This was a country that was not too dissimilar to us in so many ways, you know. So it's been heartbreaking watching what's been happening there. So I think, yeah, more women in power, more diversity in power and to get action on climate, immediate and drastic action. That's what I'd be focusing on. It would be just so good if someone in government could lead this and lead it really strongly around the climate because it's just it's just not happening at the moment. And I know it is a big task, like you say, but it's like, come on, let's make something really happen. Australians do really care about this issue. You know, the vast majority of Australians, I think it's in the order of 80%, want 
action on climate. They want to see things happening. And I think that was the really hopeful thing that came out of the last election with seven new climate-focused independents being elected to the parliament and the amazing David Pocock, the former Wallabies captain, who now has one of the most pivotal roles in the Senate. He sort of has the deciding vote or, you know, the government needs his support to pass things. We're seeing these really incredible people step up and say, look, I'm not a career politician. I don't necessarily know how the parliament works, but these are the things I stand for. This is what my community actually wants rather than big vested interests and what the party wants. So let's get cracking. And, you know, we've finally passed some ambitious climate legislation in this country that the independents were able to help strengthen. And so for the first time in a really long time, in an Australian context anyway, I'm feeling really hopeful it's the most hopeful I've felt in a really long time. So that's nice, at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is really nice. Absolutely. So we share similar but different game-changing moments in our life. So I'd love to tap into yours a little bit because it's much further down the track than what I am. And I'd love to understand on reflection, what did you learn about you when you were going through all of that? So many things, Julie. I wrote a book about it in the end because there was so much I wanted to share and so much I'd learned. But ultimately, there's nothing like the shake-up call of a cancer diagnosis is there to make sure, you know, are you really doing what you want to be doing with this precious short time you get on earth? And so I think for me, it really did bring me back to lots of things I'd been really passionate about as a child and had maybe gotten a bit distracted from. It's not so much about finding the new you, but it's almost going back to who you really are, I have found, kind of coming home in a way. And so for me, thinking about the climate, the planet, whilst I couldn't really engage with those things when I was unwell, because you're in survival mode, right? And you're focusing just on getting better and getting out of that. Definitely, as I started to emerge out of it, it's been the big thing. And I sort of relate the idea of the planet and our bodies and how many of us are treating our bodies is really reflected in that macro of how we're treating the planet in Western culture. If someone gets a cancer diagnosis, we don't just say, oh, well, bad luck. And so we shouldn't be doing that with our environment, no matter how dire things seem as well. We throw everything that we've got at it. So that was a really big takeaway from it. Another one was just that women are just freaking awesome. <laughs> like the women in my life were... They're so amazing the way they turned up, showed up. My mother was extraordinary. My sisters were wonderful, as were lots of the men in my life too, but the women were really amazing. And, yeah, I think just having a lot of time to reflect and think, you know, I always joke that I'd prefer to go to a yoga retreat in Bali next time, but cancer works too. <laughs> I think definitely a much, much bigger appreciation for the little things in life. People always say it and it almost sounds token and trite, but you do. You realize that actually the moment you're in right now, the experiences you're having right now, nothing actually matters more than that. That's all we have. Nothing else is a given. We don't know what's coming. But I definitely take much more time to be present, to enjoy it in the moment and call it out in the moment. It's not even like reflecting at the end of the day. I'll be like in the moment, how good is this? How amazing is this? Because even on our worst days, I think our lives in this country, particularly for so many of us, are better than some people's best ever day will be. You know, we're so unbelievably blessed. And it was really that learning of even in my toughest challenges, 
there was always something to be so grateful for. Even the fact that I could have chemotherapy, you know, I thought, wow, how lucky am I that I can actually have it? You know, that my body is strong enough to be able to take it. You know, not everyone gets that option. How fortunate that I can do IVF, that I have time. How fortunate that I live in a country where we have a healthcare system that can support me through this. Now, as we know in America, number one cause of bankruptcy, healthcare costs. It's just mad. And I think we have to protect that right for Australians because these things are not just a given, you know, and I think we've got to be so careful that we don't go down that slippery slope of America. And you know, I had a girlfriend who was over there doing her med training and she got reprimanded for going to help someone while they're having a heart attack outside the hospital. She got told off and reprimanded because they weren't someone that had insurance with her hospital. And I just thought, we just never want our country to get to that point. Mm, absolutely. I can't believe that. That's crazy. But you are right. We are very lucky in terms of the healthcare that we do have here. And you received a stage four diagnosis, which must have been like so confronting. And then going through the brutality of chemo, it's just digging into your strength and resilience on a whole other level. And I love what you said in terms of being really grateful for being in the moment and you call that out in the moment. I'd love to understand, like, is that something that you've learned along the way to be able to do? Is that a practice that you have practiced, if you like? Because I'm a big reflector probably at the end of the day or at the start of the day, but it's like, how do you do that in the moment? Because that would be so beneficial for everyone listening, no matter what. Yeah. Do you know, I think it's something I'd always sort of done, but it really just tightened during that. And I'm really fortunate to be with a partner now, this beautiful man who is, he's exactly the same and we're both really similar in that regard. He is worse than me. Like he's more, oh my gosh, how good is this day? How lucky are we, you know? So I think that's lovely to have that with, you know, a friend or a partner or someone around you. You, you kind of bring it out in each other. I remember too uh, listening to The Resilience Project, listening to the audiobook by Hugh Van Cyclenberg and he talks about a student that he taught and he would just always in the moment go, tis. This, meaning, you know, how good is this? Look at this. And this was a student that was in one of the poorest schools in India, living out in the middle of the desert, who literally had nothing, but it was just pure joy. And he said, and the more his research resilience, actually, he was joyful because he was someone that was appreciating those things in the moment. It actually strengthens those resilience muscles, you know, when you're constantly reiterating and scanning for the good. And it's a big part of what I learned recently with a course that I did called The Lightning Process. I did it for my chronic fatigue. And when you've been dealing with a chronic illness or chronic fatigue for a long time, we get very, very good at editing for the bad. So we look back on a day and it might've been 80% great, but we're thinking about the time we felt nauseous, the time our neck was hurting, the time we felt really fatigued. And so when you go back each day to this course, they get you just to reflect on the wins and the times you felt great. You're not allowed to say, oh, but then I this and then I, you know. And on the first day, Liz, who I did it with, she said to me, so, Bryony, how long have you been feeling like you're feeling? And I said, oh, look, it's been about five years since chemo and then maybe another two years before that, so about seven years, thinking she'd say, oh, you poor thing. You know, you've been feeling sick for seven years. And she said, wow, so you've been really well for 80% of your life. And I just burst into tears because I realised that I didn't see myself as a well person anymore. I saw myself as a really sick and unwell person. And she sort of reminded me of the overwhelming health and well-being of my entire life, you know, that this is a blip in the scheme of it. It was all about rewiring to scan for the good and rewiring those neural pathways that light up when we're 
just focusing on the negative that reiterate it and make it all worse. So it's really powerful stuff. Mm, that is such a powerful story and such a massive distinction in terms of just simply flipping it to say, hey, you were well for 80% of your life. Wow, that's, yeah, I'm so going to look into that lightning process. They said at the start of the course, these will be three of the most important days of your life. And I thought, that's a big call, but it absolutely was. I can say hand on heart after doing it. It was, it was transformative. It's helped me so much with my healing. Oh, that's so good. You know, at the start of my journey, we connected briefly and then I got a copy of your book and I found that to be incredibly inspiring for me and really, really helpful. And that I went on a bit of a journey in terms of really searching for really inspiring stories, which when you're looking for it, there is no shortage of inspiring people everywhere who have been through a lot worse than what you have, to be honest. And yeah, so it really framed my mindset to be looking for those inspiring stories and understanding that, hey, you really haven't got it that bad. I, I could have obviously done some better work on my mindset there. You sound like you're quite wired to be looking for the positive in things, but do you think there's a particular mindset that you did adopt while you were going through your challenge? Was it that you allowed more people in to help you? Did you ask for help? What was it for you? Yeah, look, so many things. I feel like I've probably always been a bit of a positive bunny, but Early on, I thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to be so positive and I'm just going to smash this and I'm going to be the most positive cancer patient that ever there has been. And I realized early on that that was actually very unhelpful. I went and saw a psychologist and she just sort of said to me, hey, I just want to let you know, you don't have to like any of this. You don't have to look for silver linings. You can hate this whole thing if you want. This is really tough. And for me, I thought, well, I don't want to hate this whole thing and just wallow in it and that's going to make it really hard for me. But it did release a pressure valve knowing that, okay, I don't have to be like Pollyanna the whole way through this. So that was a big learning early on. And also just the mindset of a girlfriend shed, which I share in the book, the idea of some things don't have to be understood, just accepted. So leaning into that acceptance piece early on, I wish this wasn't happening. I wish this wasn't part of my life, but it is. And every minute I stew over why me or why has this happened, it's just so much wasted energy. You know, I think everything in life is balanced, but it's that balance of wanting to survive, doing everything that you can, putting all your energy into surviving, but also this balance between that and also, but there's so much out of my control here. All I can do is take it day by day, do my best, ask for help. Like you said, that was a big thing. A girlfriend shared with me early on. She She'd had a brain tumor. I'd never even realized we played sport together. And she said, I just wanted to say, just lean on your people right now. They really want to help and you'll get your time down the track to help them, but just let people help you. And that was helpful for me because I think otherwise, even though I was starting chemo and going through all this, I wanted to still prove to everyone that I was awesome and could do it and was really tough and I didn't, I didn't need help what life's about at the end of the day right leaning on people when you need them and vice versa yeah great advice from your friend there we are all leaders but you cannot be a leader of others unless you are a leader of self first over the past two decades i've empowered hundreds of leaders to deliver positive impact to the business they are representing resulting in extraordinary sales growth and high staff retention rates 
I'm often asked the question, how can I work with you, Julie? Here's how. I present one-hour keynotes to corporations, providing practical tools and strategies for leaders and their teams to take control of busy, to be intentional with their actions and achieve the high performance results that they're looking for. I also work one-on-one with a select few ambitious and courageous leaders who understand the key to creating their success starts with them. So if you'd like to connect, you can find me at juliehyde.com.au. So now you have a new project, which I'm really excited to share with my listeners for you. And that is that you've released a journal to accompany your gorgeous book. And I just want to also say that your book is so relevant for people, not only if they've received a life-threatening diagnosis, it's for any disruption in their life. You found journaling very, very helpful for you. So can you tell us a little bit about what's happening now? Yeah. So as you said, journaling for me really became absolutely critical when I was going through treatment. I started a practice known as the morning pages. Basically, you just get up and you write what's on your mind and you just get it out of your head and you put it on paper. And the idea is that over time, it really helps you clarify your thoughts, gives you direction. But if nothing else, it's actually just this idea of just clearing the cloud out of your head and and putting it somewhere. There's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, you can whinge and moan for pages if you want. Maybe it's more of a brain dump and a to-do list, but it's just whatever comes, there's no right or wrong way to do it. And so I did it every day for, you know, the 12 weeks that I was going through chemo and then a bit beyond as well. And I found it incredibly therapeutic, but it wasn't until after I finished chemo that I learned a bit more about journaling when I was researching it. And the science is pretty clear that people bounce back and are more resilient following traumatic events when they're journaling like even wounds can heal faster, some research to suggest. You know, it's all that mind-body connection, I think, as well. It's giving your brain a direction. It's giving it clarity. It's just taking that stress out of your body and out of your mind and putting it somewhere. So, yeah, it was something that I love doing. So I'm really thrilled to be in January releasing a companion journal to go with the book. Because I've had a lot of people as well reach out that say, I love the book, but I don't want to mark it and I don't want to like color it in because it's so pretty. And I'm like, thank you. But yeah, so the journal has big chunks of space to write in and then lots of little journaling prompts and full page quotes. And so some of the ideas from the book to really step you through from, whoa, this has just happened through to the other side. And, you know, I sort of like to describe it as your best friend in a book. But that really awesome best friend, you know, the one that turns up and they've brought gin and snacks and with humor and lightness is like, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay, but not in that toxic kind of just be positive, you'll be fine kind of way where you kind of want to strangle people when they say that. Yeah. You're stronger than you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So you recommend doing it in the morning? Yeah. I mean, it's whenever it works for you, really. For me, the idea about what I liked in the morning is it becomes kind of a brain dump as opposed to, dear diary, this is what happened today kind of thing. You can find at the end of the day, it can just become a log of what happened that day. Whereas in the morning, you're quite fresh. And even for me, I mean, during chemo, I was up very early every day because the drugs, you know, make it hard to sleep. So it was a nice thing to kind of tick off first thing in the morning, gave you a little feeling of accomplishment, like you'd gotten a goal achieved. 
but you can do it whenever. It's about finding when it works for you. But definitely, yeah, my preference is doing it in the morning when the day hasn't yet clouded you. And it's just Julia Cameron, the woman that first sort of created the concept of morning pages, she describes them as spiritual windshield wipers, which I really liked, you know, and what a lovely practice as part of the morning just to go, okay, all this mess of thoughts that are racing around, we're just going to wipe that. Fresh day, let's go. Yeah, get it out on paper. Yeah. And the funny thing I find when I'm journaling is it's really hard to lie. It's actually really hard. I don't know what it is. Like it's, I find it impossible. And so there's this weird thing when the rubber hits the road, when the pen hits the paper, you're really honest with yourself. You can kind of convince yourself of things in your mind, but when you come to write it, you're like, well, this is how I'm actually feeling. I think as well it's a really good place for if you don't yet feel ready to share with other people or you're not yet ready to talk it out loud, it's a really good way to practice and have somewhere else for those thoughts and ideas to go, particularly ones that are just feel too dark or too embarrassing or you're just not ready to share. Yeah, that makes sense because it's like, okay, I'm not ready to say this out loud, but I've got to get this out of my head because it's just running around and creating a whole heap of drama and darkness. Yeah. And sorry to go on about the lightning process again, but what I loved about it so much is it is a process and they give you a little process for whenever something happens, they call it going into the pit, but it's basically the idea It might be a physical symptom. So for me, it might be my neck flaring up or headache or whatever, or it might be an anxious thought or worrying about something. And they say the pit is just anything that is not life enhancing. And that's then when you implement the process. So I think it's a great thing to ask. It's just, is this life enhancing? No. Okay. Well, then I need to stop this thought in its tracks and then give you a little system to do that. So I found that helpful. Yeah, really helpful. And did you give yourself a time limit in terms of doing it or it was just like some days it was like, you know, an hour, other days it was like two minutes? I find if you're going to do sort of two to three pages, yeah, it's normally about 30 minutes for me. But also I just think whatever you can do, you know, it's better to write for five minutes than nothing, but it's the dailiness of it. And I think too when then the book deal came up, it had just reconnected me with my love of writing and I went, oh, yeah, I could write a book because I, you know, had written pages and pages and pages and so it had sort of unlocked something and this process has been attributed with unlocking some great creatives throughout time, you know, huge novels and screenplays and all sorts of things um, because it's kind of like doing your creative stretches in a way. So, you know, for people that are maybe wanting to write a book or become a writer one day, I would really recommend it as well just as a, a daily practice to get into. Yeah, I love that. I've always struggled with journaling. For some reason, I just could never get myself into the flow of it, but I did it at night. So it did become a bit of a dear diary thing. I'm a massive fan of morning routine. So perhaps I should incorporate that. Yeah, I wonder. Even if it was 20 minutes, I wonder. wonder what that would be like. My friend Christina Carlson, who was the founder of Kiki K, she's a mad journaler and she starts her day every day with morning pages. And a lot of really successful people do. It's one of those interesting synergies with people. Yeah, there's something in it. So, yeah. Definitely. So I'll be sharing all of the links to buy Bryony's book and her journal and get in touch with her in the show notes. So it's been so wonderful to chat to you today and the time's gone so quickly. But is there a final message that you'd love to share with our listeners today? 
Oh, so many things. One message is hard. Can I share maybe maybe a micro one and a macro one? So in terms of a micro one, I mean, for me, the message of the book, the title really does sum it up. Life is tough, but so are you. And I actually think life is beautiful and wonderful and incredible. I don't think it's tough, but it can be tough. There are some really tough things that we're all going to have to do. But as the title of the book says, you know, but so are you. It's extraordinary the depths and the resilience you already have in, in you that you might not even realize yet. You know, you really can face anything that comes your way. And I think in terms of helping others that are going through a tough time, you know, I write about it in the book because I think it is. It's just we don't know necessarily how to help sometimes. But I know most people, they don't want to be told what to do. They don't really want to be given advice. They just want to be listened to. They want to know they're loved, they're supported. And just do practical things, drop meals around, give people the option. Can I do this or this? Don't be one of those people that says, I'll do anything. It just creates a burden for the person. You're never going to ring someone up and say, hey, can you do this? Or you might, if you can, full props to you, but I found that hard. So just doing things and being thoughtful is really, really wonderful. And then on a more macro scale, I think the issues that face the world can seem really overwhelming sometimes, but I have found the antidote to that is just to do something. <laughs> kind of like helping out your friend, you know, it's just doing something. So that might look like starting a community group that sits around and asks, what's the vision for our community? What do we want? And maybe getting a candidate up and going for it. And I've met some of the most extraordinary people through doing that. You know, when you're doing things that are aligned and it can actually be a whole lot of fun. I think we have this misconception that it's hard and it's going to be draining, but actually the best people I've met in my life have been through doing that sort of purpose-led work. So yeah, get active, not anxious, be it on a small scale or a big scale. Yes, I love that. And focus on what you can control, not what you can't control. I absolutely love your advice for those who are going through something because, yeah, I'm a bit like you. I'm not going to ask someone to necessarily, hey, can you drop a meal around tonight? If they just do it, that was the absolute best thing for me. So perhaps they had read your book. Bryony, it's been a pleasure. And I just want to thank you for being the leader that you are and for making such a difference for so many people locally, but also on, on a global scale as well. So I really appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you. It's been a total privilege to sit and have a beautiful chat with you. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. 